Welcome to the podcast for Epworth United Methodist Church in Berkeley, California. I'm Pastor Kristen Stone King. Our mission at Epworth is to live out God's love for all. We strengthen our faith as we worship, study, develop a creative, supportive community, and serve others. Together, we encourage each other, challenge each other, and welcome all people on their journey of faith. We are a reconciling congregation, meaning that persons of all sexual orientations and gender identities are welcomed to help transform our church and our world into the full expression of Christ's inclusive love. We are a sanctuary church advocating for the rights and dignity of immigrants, and we stand in solidarity with the movement for Black Lives. Our podcast blends a taste of the music that we experience here in worship on Sunday mornings, along with a scripture reading. Oh, for a thousand tongues to sing thy great Redeemer's praise, the glories of my God and King, the triumphs of His grace, the triumphs of His grace. My gracious Master and my God, assist me to proclaim, to spread through all the earth abroad, the honors of thy name, the honors of thy name. Jesus, the name that charms our fears, that bids our sorrow cease, tis music in the sinner's ears, tis life and health and his life and health and peace. He speaks and listening to his voice, impact is that we see. The mournful broken hearts rejoice, the humble poor believe, the humble poor believe. Hear him, ye deaf, his praise, ye dumb, your loosened tongues And leap ye lame for joy, and leap ye lame for joy, for joy. Hi, I'm Britt Tovin Lindsay, a grateful member of the Upworth community. And I'm rereading the prayer of illumination. Oh God. Unravel within us any urge to assert power over another. Awaken us to our connection, the vulnerability and wonder of being a creature on a planet, in a solar system, in this corner of the cosmos. Enliven within us a curiosity about the ways of gentleness and mutuality. Ancient God of becoming, guide us towards connecting love this day and each day. Amen. Amen. The scripture reading today comes from Acts chapter 16, verses 9 through 15. During the night, 
Paul had a vision. There stood a man of Macedonia pleading with him and saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. When he had seen the vision, we immediately tried to cross over to Macedonia, being convinced that God had called us to proclaim the good news to them. We set sail for Troas and took a straight course to Samothrace, the following day to Neapolis, and from there to Philippi, which is a leading city of the district of Macedonia and a Roman colony. We remained in the city for some days. On the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate by the river, where we supposed there was a place of prayer. And we sat down and spoke to the women who had gathered there. A certain woman named Lydia, a worshiper of God, was listening to us. She was from the city of Theatira and a dealer in purple cloth. The Lord opened her heart to listen eagerly to what was said by Paul. When she and her household were baptized, she urged us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come and stay at my home. And she prevailed upon us. The word of the Lord.
choir. Thank you, Jerry. Will you pray with me, please, the words of preparation which are printed in your bulletin? Gracious and loving God, may the words of my mouth be acceptable in your sight. O God, our strength and our redeemer. this is a time of year for graduations. And as I said, after two years of the cancellation of being able to mark these important moments, it's so good to be able to gather and to offer thanks and congratulations. To all of our graduates, again, we salute you, we are proud of you, and we want you to know that you will be in our hearts and God will be with you wherever you go. Each milestone comes with its particular joys and accomplishments, as well as the new challenges on the horizon of the next chapter. And one particular challenge on the horizon upon leaving high school and going on to higher education, especially if you've been in the public school system, as my children have been, is, anybody got a guess? The financial aid package <laughs> and the tuition bill. And even in California, where we ostensibly live with the legacy of the Master Plan for Higher Education, which is the compact between the state and the people of California, which guarantees eligible graduating seniors access to higher education at a UC or a CSU campus and access to our community college system to any student who could benefit from that instruction. There couldn't be a broader just definition than that. Even in spite of this cherished, cherished agreement in the state of California, the cost of college can prevent students from ever being able to access these promises. And financial aid packages that include student loans can leave students with sometimes crippling debt even after they graduate. Well, recently on the NPR podcast, Hidden Brain, if you don't listen to Hidden Brain, I definitely recommend it, the host teed up a story that gave a very different take on student loans. 
In the mid-80s, Bill Maurer was a student at Vassar, and his first year financial aid package included no grants, just work study and loans. His second year, though, he got his award letter, and he learned he was going to receive something called the Hager Award. The Hager Award was described as an interest-free loan with a moral obligation to be repaid. So Maurer uh, recounts this moment of receiving this letter in this way. He said, I was like, what? What does that mean? He said, like, you know, I think my young self was like, I'll take the money, and I don't have a student loan anymore. Thank you very much. And Maurer went on to graduate from college, and then he went to graduate school uh, in anthropology, and he became a professor. He paid off his other student loans, but then he realized he hadn't returned to the Hager Award, the one with the moral obligation for repayment. So he wasn't getting statements. No one was putting him on a timetable to repay this loan. And though he did know the amount of the loan uh, you know, that he had received, and, and he did know that it was interest-free, he began to think maybe there was more to it. Just exactly what was it going to cost him to repay this loan, he began to wonder. Well, in our scripture today from Acts, we rejoin Paul and Timothy and their other companions as they travel around sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. And as the scripture that you heard Britt read opens, Paul has a vision of a man who asks him to change course and come to Macedonia. So the group does, they change their course, they sail from Troas um, and onto Neapolis and then to Philippi, which was said to be the leading city of that district of Macedonia. Now if there's one thing that is incredibly expensive, just like higher education, it's travel. And this is a group traveling together, and so I have to wonder, how are they eating? Where are they staying? I have to wonder, how was all of this funded? Was there some sort of evangelism loan program at that time? Because we know they weren't traveling on miles or points. Well, so back to Bill Maurer and the Hager Award. Maurer began to research just exactly what is the, the Moral Obligation Award. And in the fine print, he discovered that the award's underlying purpose was to address something that's often overlooked in the way that we think about money, which is this, that at its core, money is about human relationships. Maurer, who is now the dean of the School of Social Sciences at UC Irvine, studies now the origin and nature of money. He says that we often think that before money existed in economic systems, bartering allowed persons to trade between themselves. The principle that allowed this to work, or maybe more often not work, is called the double coincidence of needs and wants. In other words, that uh, the only way bartering works is if you have what I need and vice versa, at exactly the same time and in exactly the same place. And Maurer's research shows that actually bartering wasn't as prevalent as we have previously thought. 
Instead, Maurer says, what we find really are systems where people are taking some kind of object <clears throat> and using it <clears throat> to mark relationships. They're using it to mark relationships among people, among kin, that serve as a kind of indicator of enduring obligations that people have to one another. In effect, this is what the benefactors of the Hager Award or of any of the several other moral obligation scholarships and loans that are out there were trying to do to replace a transactional approach to life where there are debts and debtors, contracts and legal requirements with one where there is trust and hope and mutuality and relationship. The scripture we have today from Acts seems rather unremarkable. Paul receives a vision to change course and to head to Macedonia, and so he and his whole entourage do. And once there, they begin preaching at the gates to the city, where they meet Lydia, who is opened to the good news of Jesus Christ and becomes baptized. She invites the whole group to stay with her at her home. There's really not more detail than that. And when I read a scripture like this, I, I sometimes feel like, that's it? That's all you're going to give us? What? I need more. What was, it, what was it that they said? What was it that moved Lydia to be baptized and make this generous gesture of offering her home? But then I go back to the scripture, and the details are there. In this situation, we have learned that Lydia was a dealer in purple cloth, a businesswoman. And presumably, her days were taken up with transactions. And presumably, there were some whose debts she held. What we know about Macedonia is that it was a Roman colony run by Gentiles who have little respect, this group anyway, for the laws and traditions of Israel. It is known for being a place where women were enslaved and businessmen were unscrupulous. It sounds like the kind of place where repayment by moral obligation would be unheard of. And into this environment comes Paul and company preaching the good news of Jesus Christ, that this is the year of the Lord's favor, that the oppressed will receive liberty and justice, and that in Jubilee, loans will be forgiven. And it's not just debts that are forgiven, but all of us who are folded into a life of grace and mercy. It's difficult to describe what a truly radical and even dangerous message this was in this context. What we have to remember is that this scene takes place very shortly after the resurrection. These early Christians are witnessing to what happened and to what it meant. They were sharing with anyone who would listen about the life-affirming, self-giving, grace-offering Jesus. They were trying to make sense of what they had just witnessed on the cross. Well, tradition tells us that one of the seven last words of Christ on the cross was to telestai, which is translated as it is finished. It is a Greek word 
that translates usually to, it is finished. But to telestai in Jesus' day also meant that a debt was paid in full. And in those days, the word to telestai would be written across the top of a debt, or a receipt with the word to telestai was given to the debtor. To telestai, the debt was paid in full. And in the context of the Hebrew scriptures, in the context of the Old Testament, to telestai also meant the sacrifice is accomplished. In those days, on the high holy day of Yom Kippur, also known as the Day of Atonement, this word to telestai would have been pronounced as the high priest exited the temple after having offered a sacrifice of lamb to God. This was the custom of Jews at that time and signaled that for the next year, the people had been reconciled to God through their prayers, the action of the priest, and the symbol of the sacrificial lamb. In Jesus' day, also, when a laborer finished a day's work, that person would come to the boss and say, to Telestai, meaning the work that was assigned was done. To Telestai, I have completed the work expected of me. It was also common for an artist, upon completing a work, to say, to Telestai, my creation is finished. So when Jesus said to Telestai, while hanging on the cross, he meant all of these things. The sacrifice has been accomplished. There's no more need for that kind of sacrifice. The work has been completed and the debt is paid in full. What moved Lydia and Paul and Silas and Timothy and countless others before them to drop their previous way of life and enter into a new communion was that this was a new kind of economy that went beyond even the idea of moral obligation to repay a debt. In Jesus, there was no debt due. And so now we arrive here 2,000 years later, and our charge is the same as Paul's and Lydia's and all those who heard the good news, to embrace it and share it. Even 2,000 years later, the good news of Jesus Christ remains a radical reframing of how we are to live and who and whose we are. We are free, free to receive forgiveness, mercy, and grace, free to live in an economy of mutual obligation, free to live in love and joy. Christ loves the church with grace beyond all measure. We bear his name for the world to see. He will not let us go. Ooh. Mm -hmm.
listening to the podcast for Epworth United Methodist Church in Berkeley, California. Wherever you're located, we'd love for you to take a next step in growing in faith in this community. Our online worship is at 10 a.m. on Sunday mornings on Facebook, YouTube, and on our website at epworthberkeley.org. Or you can fill out an online Connect card at epworthberkeley.org backslash connect. Have a great week. Your love is amazing, steady and unchanging. Your love is a mountain from beneath my feet. Your love is a mystery, how you gently lift me. When I am surrounded, your love carries me. I can be